I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Look at all these outdoor pictures. That's all I post. Is it's that... too much. Yeah. Wow. How can <laughs> Sam? What is this? Yeah, that that's that's me. Wow. I wouldn't even be... look the, with with all the gear on your face. I wouldn't even be able to tell. How do you know? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, so go to the. What, we do one more. One more. One more picture. There's a close. There's up. a picture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Wait, which one is you? Uh, well, actually, you guys should probably introduce yourselves first. Oh, I am Maureen. I uh, produce this show. I am Taylor. I also produce <laughs> this show. And you are? Yeah, and I'm Sam. I'm the host of Outside In. And okay, and, and to clarify, this is a picture <laughs> of you skiing, and we're looking at a picture, and you're on. The side of a bus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why are you on a bus? <laughs> I guess we. I guess we missed the outrage here. We demand explanation, Sam. <laughs> There's this whole story of how I wound up on the side of a city bus in a town in the very southernmost tip of Argentina. <laughs> so, are you like famous in Argentina? Uh, that's probably too strong a word. In a very in one community, people know my face. Okay. So what? Why are you on the side of this bus? Well, that's the story we're going to talk about today on Outside In, the story of how my face wound up on the side of a bus in Argentina. But that's not actually the whole story I'm going to tell you today. Yes, you will learn how I got on the side of that bus, but really, today is the story of the man who is in second place in that photo. He's a racer named Martin Bianchi, who made a split-second decision that would change the course of his athletic career and his outlook on life. Bueno, yo estuve en Torino en el año 2006, con 24 años. That's Martin. And what he just said is that when he was 24, he went to the Winter Olympics in Torino, Italy. 
He's from Ushuaia, which is the southernmost city in the world. It's one of the cities that scientific voyages to Antarctica depart from. Martin grew up at the foot of the Andes and started skiing when he was little. Before long, my dad took me to try cross-country skiing, and I fell in love immediately. He got on skis for the first time when he was nine years old. And by the time he was 14, it was clear he was talented. Argentina's best skier at the time suggested that I should travel to Europe. And he got me a job so that I could sleep and eat and train at the ski center, which was in Spain, the first time that I traveled. For years, he chased the snow. He would spend the northern hemisphere's winters in Spain racing in the mountains of the Pyrenees and then come home and go to school and have another ski season racing in Ushuaia. There are not many cross-country skiers in Argentina, and Martin was very quickly national champion and a local hero. He was a shoo-in for the Olympics, but in 2002, for Salt Lake City, he had a problem. I had to have surgery on my knee. I had an injury. And I decided that wasn't how I wanted to participate after having been injured. So I decided not to go. Today, I think that I made a mistake because I could have been in two Olympics instead of just one. But these are decisions that get made when you're young and haven't had many experiences. So Martin got back on the horse. Another four years of training, four years of working in exchange for room and board, another round of qualification races. And in 2006, at 24, Martin heads to Torino. He had only done well enough to qualify for one race. And out of about 100 competitors, I finished 86th. So I was pretty close to last place. Such is the fate of skiers from countries without any real national teams, coaches, support networks, or competitive race circuits. You spend your whole life training and then wind up 86th. And when he came back, he couldn't quite let go. Back home, Martin was still the best. There was no clear successor. So even though he'd gotten married right before the Olympics and was thinking about having kids, he kept training. There's always something that's calling you back to the trails. At that time, it was that there weren't many athletes behind me. It was like if I quit, there wouldn't be anybody. He got a job teaching phys ed to kindergartners part-time. Well, because in order to train on that level, you have to have a part-time job. It's hard to have a full-time job. I asked him if he could support a family with what he was earning. No, no. So this was the state of things when I met Martin. He was still training like he was going to the Olympics. His life was kind of on hold, but he wasn't going to the Olympics. When I was 22, I was obsessed with cross-country ski racing. I never seriously thought I was going to the Olympics, but I was pretty into it. And at one point, I was ranked pretty well nationally. So in the summer of 2008, I flew to Ushuaia to train. Remember, it's the Southern Hemisphere, so it was their winter. I found a gig helping out at a restaurant that was next to the ski trails down there. I slept above the kitchen, even though the building had no heat and no electricity once the generator that provided it with power went off for the day. I would wash dishes for a few hours in the afternoon, help with any tourists who had stayed for snowshoe tours in the evening, but the rest of the time, I was just skiing. Hours every day. All that training led up to the big event in Ushuaia, a race called the Marcha Blanca. Historically, 
Back before competitive cross-country skiing was all about lycra and the lightweight, narrow skis that require carefully groomed snow, the race used to cross over the spine of the Andes. Today, it's a pretty standard 13-mile ski race that's also kind of a festival. Maybe the best way to understand our cross-country skiing culture in Tierra del Fuego is to go to the Marcha Blanca. Hundreds of people show up to race and to watch the Marcha Blanca, including many who have hardly ever skied and they come wearing costumes. But there are a few competitive racers in the pack. And that is how I found myself on a starting line with Martin Bianchi. Hey, Nate here. Have you ever dreamed of going on the voyages of some of the most famous and not-so-famous explorers in history? If so, then you should check out the Explorers podcast. Host Matt Breen takes you into jungles and frigid wastelands, across deserts and oceans, and to the top of great mountains as you explore the triumph, glory, and tragedy of each explorer. There are extraordinary stories of Shackleton, Magellan, Cook, Lewis and Clark, and so many other daring people from all across the world and from throughout history. Each explorer's story is told in rich, immersive detail, and each topic is given as much time as needed to tell the whole tale, ranging from 30 minutes to 10 hours. There's something for everyone. Find the Explorers Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or go to explorerspodcast.com to learn more. The race immediately separated into a pack of five skiers, and then four, and then after just a few minutes, there were only three of us. Martin Bianchi, Federico Sichero, a skier who would later go on to race in Sochi, and me. Now, the course of the Marcha Blanca is a single 21-kilometer loop. It weaves in and out of the forest, but the majority of it travels over big, open plains of frozen peat moss. And all throughout those forests and frozen bogs, there's a hidden hazard lurking. In those particular years, we were experiencing a plague. The beaver. That's right, beavers. Beavers were brought here in 1946 for fur hats and clothing. And later, when that didn't work out, they had the bright idea of just letting them go. And when they released the 10 pairs of beavers that there were at the time, they bred and populated the entire island. Now they estimate there are over 90,000 beavers. Beavers in Tierra del Fuego are an invasive species. How about that? And it has an impact on the ski trails. Often, they simply build up a dam and flood the trail. So we have to do a lot of beaver control. And back then, they weren't doing it. So we're skiing along, traipsing across snow-covered peat moss and beaver bogs. And within the group, things were pretty tight. Well, if I remember right, we were trading off who was leading as we went. And I knew in that moment that I could win. Because we were about on par with each other, and I had faith that in the final big climb, I could get some distance on you. But I got a big surprise, and I'm being sincere here, Sam, that before that climb, which they call the Subida de los Acheros, I couldn't pass you. And so I climbed the hill behind you without being able to pass you, 
going maybe a little slower than I would have liked to go because generally I'm good at going uphill. When we got to the top of the climb, we had to turn sharply to the right and go downhill. And this downhill ended by going over a beaver bog, much to your surprise. <laughs> The ski tracks, which you normally get into the tracks when you go down a hill, the tracks went over a beaver dam, over a part which rose up because of a rock, and the track setting machine had passed over that, so the tracks weren't level, and they sort of threw you into a jump. This downhill was very fast. It was short but very steep. And when we finished the climb and started to go down, we got into the tracks. I looked ahead and saw that the tracks went over a rock, and I immediately realized there was a jump there. And there, still ahead of me, you hit the rock and went off the jump. Without meaning to. You were knocked off balance and you went off the trail. And I passed you. I was able to avoid and go around you. And it was in that moment that I said, well, that's it. It's over. I passed you with all the speed from this downhill slope. So right there, I took 15, 20 meters from you, easy. And you still had to make your way back onto the trail and regain your momentum. So I had this fantastic opportunity to go, to keep hammering and leave you behind. But to tell you the truth, something happened in my head that told me this wasn't right. You had climbed the hill well, you had done the downhill well. The only thing is that you hadn't noticed that the trail had a jump in it. A thing that shouldn't have been there. And it was because of that jump that you went off the trail, you lost all your momentum. And to me, the right thing to do seemed to be to wait for you. I didn't fall, but I was standing way off the trail with deep, heavy, powdery snow up to my knees or so. And I remember my heart just sinking into my stomach. We were not far from the finish, and I was almost positive that the race was over. But then I looked over, and I saw that Martin had slowed down. As he glided past, he looked back over his shoulder, and I heard him call out. I flailed my way out of the powder and frantically skied back up the hill trying to catch Martin. Given how slow he was going, it didn't take long before the racing came back together and it was nip and tuck again. The rest of the event was a bit of a blur. Right before the finish, our race merged into the trail being used by the more popular event with people skiing in costumes. We were sprinting, dodging people left and right. You were shouting, I was shouting, it was a mess. When there were just 500 meters left, this I remember. I was pretty tired. And I saw you with this drive, this energy. That's when I realized you were going to beat me. And I did. For me, that was the end of the story. I won a race, they gave me a trophy, I went home, and having won the National Ski Championship of Argentina was an eccentric biographical detail that I could share at parties. But then, years later, 
an email arrives in my inbox from Martin. It turns out there was something else that happened that day, something I had completely forgotten. After the race, I came up to him. And you asked me, you came up to me and you asked, Martin, you waited for me when I fell? I said, yeah, sure, Sam. I waited because I wanted us to have a clear winner. And we left it at that. But later, when we're at the award ceremony, you tried to give me the cup, the trophy. I said, no, you keep it. And at that moment, there was someone from the Argentine Olympic Committee at the ceremony. He asked me why you had tried to give me the trophy, and I told him what had happened. I told him the whole story. And for that year, 2008, they decided that the most exemplary gesture of sportsmanship in all of Argentina was this situation that happened in the Marcha Blanca. So they invited me to Buenos Aires for a dinner, a very big deal, a gala banquet, and they gave me a prize in front of all of the Olympic medalists from Argentina. This included the Argentine soccer team, who had won the gold medal in Beijing that year. Just imagine, this would be like standing up in front of a room full of people like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, all the most famous athletes in the country. He met his country's equivalent of Bob Costas, the Olympics host for NBC, and had an article written about him in the country's biggest newspaper. This was one of my best memories. So this race is going to stay with me for the rest of my life. And after getting this prize, I think it was kind of like a signal that things were all right, that I could retire, that I had done enough. I had left enough of a mark on the sport. Now, when Martin races, he does it for fun. Today he has three kids, a job in the Ministry of Tourism, which pays much better than a part-time phys ed teacher. He's hung up his commitment to ski racing, but not his love for it. The next year, just to give you an idea, in 2009, I did the Marcha Blanca in the Tiger costume. I went from having been on the podium with you, second place, to the next year putting on a Tiger costume and skiing the race together with my wife. That was how I ended my racing career. And yes, years later, a photo of us together at the front of that race was plastered all over the side of a city bus. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, and Logan Shannon, with help from Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, Molly Donahue, and Jimmy Gutierrez. A special thanks this week to Martin Bianchi for taking the trouble to connect with us from the far end of another continent, and to Luis Antonio Perez for helping out with the Spanish translation and being Martin's voice in English. If you head over to our website, outsideinradio.org, you can see the infamous photos on the side of the city bus. And if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, at Outside In Radio, you can see what shenanigans we're getting up to these days. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music today by Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, and Tyler Gibbons. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. 